Welcome back, everybody. Watches. Who are you talking to? I just asked wait, you. Wait, wait, wait. He was okay. asking. Watches Boz Lerman's Elvis once. <laughs> <laughs> just the trailer. <laughs> just the trailer. Not <laughs> Never the actually. Right. I think we're already going, but I uh, want to say, hey, what's up to everybody? Um, welcome to this podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us. Um, we're calling this 1189 because we are going to study through all 1189 chapters of the Bible. God willing. So uh, my name is Landon. I'm a pastor and a person who likes to talk about the Bible. I'm Becca, and I was the third choice to be here, but here I am. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah, I think it's good that you've internalized that. I, um, I'm Nick, and I do not currently possess a Master's of Divinity degree, and probably never will. Aw. To you, Logan. If you <laughs> didn't get an MDiv by now, it's too late. Yeah. You know. I'm in my 40s. It's all you're downhill you're from here. Over. No totally. dreams. I am Logan, and I'm on my way to get my MDiv. Wow, one-upper. That's it. Yeah. That's cool. So, how's that going? Is it going, is it, is it going well? It's going good. I'm in the first year of the seminary at mm. Grand Canyon University, and uh, I enjoy it. Is it is it easy, hard? It was very hard last semester because we had to do Hebrew class, which is almost impossible. Uh, but right now it's easy until we do Greek. Are you so doing? E oh, so it's all in English this year. It's this all in English this semester. year. They were kind. That'll do it. Yeah, Good. totally. I love fun. when I was like an uh, undergrad and I was like studying Greek and people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've learned Spanish. And you're like, well, this is different. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, why? And I was like, because it's a dead language and zero people on the earth speak it. And they're yes. like, well, what are the people that know it? They're like, yeah, they don't speak it. Right. It's not like you don't speak ancient Latin. It's not you just read it and you learn it. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. most common application is like tattoos <laughs> for church planners. Yes, tattoos for church planners. That's for sure. I actually had a friend who had these two Hebrew symbols on each of his wrists. And I, you know, I'm I obviously as I said I, I don't have an MDiv, but I I know enough to know what like Hebrew writing is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. I remember looking at those and I'm just, I I would tell him like I don't think that that says what you think it says. And he'd be like, no, it says praise and worship. That's what they mean. And so one day we're at, a, we're at a conference and we run into this. We meet this guy who's like a rabbi. And we start talking to him. And, you know, rabbis, they know Hebrew. And yes. uh, so I'm like, hey, quick question. Can you clear something up for us? What does is, what is his, his hands mean? And he looks at one. He's like, well, this one here means like to lift, like physically lift something. And my friend, see, praise. And he's like, no, no, no. Like that's, a, that's this. That means something else. This means like you're picking up like a table. And then he's like, and this one, I don't even know. Is that Chinese? I don't even know. Like, what is that? It's the Wu-Tang logo. <laughs> I felt, oh, no. I went from like feeling I, a, a, like a fraction of a second feeling vindicated to just feeling awful. That's incredible. Because yeah. it's like, wow. what are you going to do? On the Blast other arm, it's them? just the Weezer symbol. <laughs> it's like so obviously not Hebrew. And oh. the guy's like, what? That's oh heartbreaking. Gosh. That is heartbreaking. That's good. I, I did a video right. one time that was like top Christian tattoo fails. Mm. And it had like no actual spiritual value, but it was great. <laughs> there was a guy who has a full uh, back tattoo of Jesus Christ playing the bass. Oh and my I, goodness! I assume that he got it ironically. You know, you like I can't believe this guy did blank, but I like it unironically. <laughs> like I just actually like it. Mm -hmm. um, That's a W tat. Good day yeah. to be a bass player when you see Jesus doing it. Yeah. Totally. Landon's next tattoo. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
Have you guys noticed that Logan kind of does what I would call gymming the camera, which is like where you do the gym helper, where like while you're talking, you look over at the camera, then you look back. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say to something. No. Slightly just. I asked him a question and he answers it to the I camera. I did that once. Time. Totally, he did it and he did it about GCU. It, I'm sure they're paying him. Oh, they 100%. are. So <laughs> they you are. were like, "How's your How's your MDiv?" And he was like, "It's going great. I'm going to Grand Canyon University." <laughs> and then he looks back and it was. <laughs> it's more of the opposite. It's more of like. I got threat. my marketing degree from there. It's exactly what they do. <laughs> Lopes, lopes up. Yeah. <laughs> lopes up. I love the school, but Good. I don't know how I feel about like a known demonic symbol <laughs> being like your school's it's, thing. It, there's a big difference. It's this, it's that. Yeah. yeah totally, Isn't totally different. Longhorns? Not even close to, to the same religion. Mm. Totally, totally different. It's <laughs> like it's like the the the, the middle finger, uh, which a lot of people use whilst driving to express distaste for other people's driving mm. you know i don't do that i do a thumbs down um and i have found that it, it gets more done <laughs> um when i give someone a thumbs down i'm just like like i'm not angry i'm not upset no. i'm just a guy and i'm watching you do something that you do every day and i want to say you're bad at it <laughs> you're just, i'm just disappointed Terrible. i would advise you to drive to jail <laughs> and ask them if you can Drive hang out for a few hours because of how you've driven. They wouldn't be able to tell the difference. <laughs> I'm just disappointed in you, that's all. I'm not mad. Well, grab your Bibles and open to Ezekiel chapter 6 and 7. All of the like righteous people have fast-forwarded to this part. I wrote a little something to just like teach you guys and to teach anyone who's watching, which is my Bible study color coding system. And this has been honed through... Uh, since I was in college and um, effectively I find that like using colors while you're coloring while you're reading the Bible is helpful because I find that interacting with it is stimulating to your brain and I find it helps you remember things and I find it just sorting them with colors I have found very helpful so there's like pens that do all of these or you can just get colored pencils but this is how I do it and then I occasionally have a purple for the Holy Spirit that uh, my pen does not have when I use colored pencils. Then also for a time I was using teal and teal was a like, whoa, yeah. Did you do all everything in color? What do you mean? Like you flip through your Bible and it's everything is colored. Oh, um, no, no, I never colored through the whole thing. But one of my Bible from college, a lot of it is colored, whatever I was reading at that time. Mostly, mostly Psalms and stuff like that. So if that's a blessing to you at home, why don't you grab that and screenshot that or look at that and do your own. You don't have to do mine, um, but maybe that would be helpful to you. Active, uh, anything that engages your mind while you're reading is good. Journaling, I write things in my Bible all the time. Like I have like so many prayers that now I'm like kind of embarrassed that I prayed that are written in my Bibles with the date. And I'm like, good Lord, I'm just going to erase this. I used a pen. Um, so we're looking at Ezekiel chapter six and seven. We're looking at the uh, call of the prophet, which we already looked at. Actually, we're looking at the departure of the glory chapters four through 24. Now we're looking at visions of city destruction, which is chapters four through seven. And here, right at the beginning in 6.3, we have one of the most top, most terrifying things in Ezekiel. Let's get there. Are we ready to jump in, guys? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Feeling good? Feeling great. Are we being too hard on you, Logan? No, we're being, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. This is all good prep for your career in ministry. Yeah, the emails. <laughs> the emails, man. Yeah. 
Totally. Biggest mistake a pastor can make is Sunday afternoon while watching football. Be like, I'm just going to look at my Oof. email. I don't know what's going Delete on. I'm app. sure this will be good. Yeah. <laughs> this won't ruin my day parenting my children. <laughs> Delete the app. When your children are like, hey, dad, want to play old maid? You're like, nah, I just want to lay here and think about my life decisions for two hours. I'm going to go in the back and dig a grave and just bury myself in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's look together. Ezekiel chapter six. The word of the Lord came to me. Remember, that's what God told him to say. That's how God told him to introduce things. Son of man. Remember, that's key. That is used over 90 times in the book of Ezekiel. And that's the number one most common way that Jesus Christ refers to himself. So remember, if a Jewish person was hearing this or hearing the Gospels and they heard Jesus call himself Son of Man over 90 times, it's obvious what would come to mind. Mm. This would come to mind. They would be thinking, oh, wow, like he's positioning himself as the new Ezekiel, um, which is, I believe, exactly why he did that. Son of Man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. Ezekiel, I just don't feel like people think you're crazy enough. So I want you to prophesy to an inanimate object. I want you to prophesy to the mountains on the horizon. Verse three and say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and the valleys. Behold, I, even I, remember that. That's the a similar way he introduced a statement uh, in chapter 5. Will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places. So here we have top five most terrifying things in Ezekiel. We've got the one from chapter 5, and we've got the one from here. Um, high places is... Uh, pagan idolatry and um, we're going to get more into that when we get down to the green tree section but everyone who is hearing this would know exactly what he's talking about you know it is it's the high places it's the cultic worship spots mm -hmm. in israel and um we're gonna we're gonna get more into that so we're gonna unpack that your altars shall become desolate your incense shall be broken and I will cast down your slain before your idols. So this is performance art prophecy number five. I think I showed this one to you guys last time when we were talking about the beard, but it's actually a different one for the, for the beard. So I just have completely failed. This is the mountains one. And he, he pictured it in his hand. Um, your uh, altar shall become desolate. Your incense shall be uh, broken. Um, God commanded the usage of in incense. And uh, the Israelites giving incense, burning incense to their pagan gods is akin to someone writing CCM style worship songs to a false god. It's like it's like an integral part of something that has been um, taken and utilized for something else. It's obviously offensive. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. it's obviously it's like having stained glass with pictures of Satan. Mm. It's like so obviously something that's supposed to be used for good that's used for something that's exactly mm. the opposite. And um, I will cast down your slain before your idols. I will lay the dead bodies of the people of Israel before your idols. I will scatter your bones around your altars. This is, this is aggressive. Wherever you dwell, the cities shall be waste and the high places, remember that, ruined, so that your altars will be waste and ruined. 
and your idols broken and destroyed, your incense cut down and your works wiped out. And the slain shall fall in, the, in your midst, and you will know that I am the Lord. If you like to underline things, that is a repeating idea in the book of Ezekiel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. We're going to talk about that extensively when we get to chapter 24 and 25 and 20. But here, um, we're just seeing it. We're beginning to see this repeating phrase used. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the green tree, which comes up um, uh Nick, could you read for us uh, verses 8 through 14? Yeah. And, and, and by the way, verse 7, yeah, just by itself in its entirety is pretty insane. He says, the place will be littered with corpses, yeah. and you will know that I alone. Like, that mm. is the most metal, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like death metal Totally. Siege mentality ever. right there. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's like siege, it is wild. Siege diet. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, uh, verse 8 through what? Just verse 14. 14? Okay. But uh, I'm reading from the New Living. Forgive me. But I will let a few of my people escape destruction, and they will be scattered among the nations of the world. Then when they are exiled among the nations, they will remember me. They will recognize how hurt I am by their unfaithful hearts and lustful eyes that long for their idols. Then at last they will hate themselves for all their detestable sins. They will know that I alone am the Lord and that I was serious when I said I would bring this calamity on them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Clap your hands in horror and stamp your feet. Cry out because of all the detestable sins the people of Israel have committed. Now they are going to die from war and famine and disease. Disease will strike down those who are far away in exile. War will destroy those who are nearby. And anyone who survives will be killed by famine. So at last, I will spend my fury on them. They will know that I am the Lord when their dead lie scattered among their idols and altars on every hill and mountain and under every green tree and every great sh shade tree, the places where they offered sacrifices to their idols. I will crush them and make their cities desolate from the wilderness in the south to Ribla in the north, and they will know that I am the Lord. Exactly. Yes. And we're going to look at this idea of every green tree now because it is a biblical motif and it is uh, used um, over um, almost a thousand years of writing from when Deuteronomy was written in about 1400 BC all the way until um, here and later um, in the 500s. Um, quickly first, Daniel Block points out that the most unifying feature of this specific oracle is its dependence on the covenant curses from Leviticus 26. And so he points out something that I think is really helpful, which is that almost everything that's referenced in this passage are specific things that are referenced in the covenant curse of Leviticus 26. So let's look at this idea of under every green tree. It's utilized all throughout the Old Testament. It's something I've been studying for a long time because it comes up constantly in the Old Testament. It's an extremely common phrase. Deuteronomy 12, 2, under every green tree. 1 Kings 14, high places, pillars, asherim, on every high hill and under every green tree. 2 Kings 16, on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. 2 Kings 17, they set up for them pillars, asherim, and under every green tree. And specifically, Asherim have already been referenced twice. 
and they're referenced again in, in, in conjunction in Jeremiah 17. But this is this is like really, really horrible stuff. This is a, a pagan uh, sexual cult that involves um, child sacrifice. So it is um, like when we don't understand that, I think we can sometimes view the reaction of God to some of these things as like harsh. But when you understand like what was actually taking place, it puts it into a context that I think is much more understandable for all of us. It says it in Isaiah 57, um, you lust among the oaks under every green tree who slaughter your children in the valleys. He's just he's saying, he's just straight up saying what happens. Jeremiah 2, uh, Jeremiah 3, um, Jeremiah 3 again, Jeremiah 17, and here in Ezekiel 6. I talked with, the first time I was studying this a long time ago, I called my college professor, my Jewish studies professor, um, Dr. Michael Rydelnik, and asked him to summarize for me what he, how he saw these, because I was trying to write a message about the motif of this. Um, and he said, the concept of the green tree in scripture is a picture of idolatry on the mountains and the hills of the Old Testament. The pagans would go and offer idols offer two idols while sitting under the evergreen trees that blanketed the mountains. And I really saw a unique um, uh, um, um, an answer to this motif in 1 Peter 2.24 when it says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. I see it as um, this 900 year motif that Jesus completely flipped upside down because on these hills for some reason God inspired um, 10 writers of the Old Testament to use the exact phrase under every green tree utilizing mm -hmm. the color and so it's just it's just very there when you read through the Old Testament dozens of times and the fact that Jesus like effectively painted the cross uh, red with his blood I see as just like the exact opposite of that thing and just mm -hmm. kind of like a perhaps hidden motif. It's mm. really so, interesting. Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting thing to study. Anytime like if you're studying the Bible at home, anytime you see the same thing repeated, like let that pique your curiosity. You know, if you're reading an email from your boss and he says the same thing seven times in an email, it's pretty obvious that he's <laughs> talking about something, right? And it's important <laughs> and perhaps he thinks that you have not grasped the yeah. information that he's trying Especially to say. Especially if it matches the subject line. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, subject line, please read. You're just like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So we're going to look at um, chapter 7. And there are three sections in chapter 7 of hyperintensity. And so if you like to kind of see the, the text in an order, um, this, is, this is how you would organize it. Uh, 2 through 4, 5 through 9, uh, 1 being the intro, and then 10 through 27. And so let's look at that together. Verse 7, it's another oracle. The word of the Lord came to me, and you, son of man, 93 times in Ezekiel, 90 times in the Gospels. That is an extremely high amount of, of any repeated idea in the Bible. There is son of man. Thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel. This is intriguing because the land of Israel is a repeated idea in the Old Testament. The land is connected to the, the attitude and conduct of the people's hearts. And that's repeatedly said in the Old Testament. It's intriguing. It's this idea 
the land will become more and more like a desert the more and more your heart is cold and far away from God. That's a repeated idea in the Old Testament, and it seems so ridiculous to us. I was studying for uh, this master's program I'm taking last night, and the guy was talking about how the sin in Genesis 3 has separated us in four ways, and one of the ways, he said, was it has separated us from our connection to the land. And that is a biblical idea. It is this idea, he was drawing the comparison between endless amounts of processed food and the brokenness of the world. And I think he really is onto something. It is a part, at least, of the curse of sin. Specifically here, Daniel Block said, it's addressed to the territory of Israel, reflecting the strong emotional bond between the land and the people's sense of nationhood. Block also says, the expression uh, uh, land of Israel is distinctly Ezekielian. You want to try that one? Yeah. Well, you did it so well. I but should should it be Ezekielian? Ezekielian. Yeah. I like or is that putting the, emfa- the emphasis on the wrong syllable? Yeah. yeah. As Ezekielian. Ezek- yeah, I don't know. Ezekielian sounds, sounds like something out of Hercules. <laughs> or like Star Wars. <laughs> or, you know, like like yeah. Star Trek. Like we're going to Ezekielian. Yes. Too. Totally. It's like a very thinly veiled allegory for like a very current political problem. And you're watching Star Trek and you're <laughs> like, like, wow, this is like pretty plain. Crazy. It's just Portland. How these things yeah. line up. <laughs> don't it's, that. Ju- it's just it's Portland. Portland. <laughs> oh. Don't you wish you had that Portland accent? <laughs> oh my gosh. Man. So we need to get like a crown for whoever gets like the funniest, wittiest <laughs> remark because he should be wearing a crown right now. It could be a Burger King. Kids crown. Yeah, totally. Be awesome. So then it says in verse two, an end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. So this is intriguing. Um, This is Revelation connection number four in Ezekiel. What I'm not saying, if you're watching at home and you're you're underlining these in your Bible, which I would encourage you to do. Um, and take note of these things, but um, I'm not saying these are the only Revelation connections. I'm saying this is the fourth one that we have mentioned because there's actually a lot more than that. And remember, the key to understanding Revelation is understanding the Old Testament. There are over 400 allusions in the book of Revelation to the Old Testament, and that is more than the amount of verses that there are in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. So there's more than one allusion to the Old Testament per verse. So if you want to understand that book, which I believe a lot of people do, it's like a very common book that a lot of people want to understand. You have to understand the Old Testament. Just like if you want to understand Star Wars Episode Five, you have to watch Episode Four and, you know, presumably the other ones. So there you go. So um, this is from G.K. Beale and David Campbell's commentary. He's effectively saying that when they're referencing the angels in the four corners, that it is obviously also referencing this exact moment, which I believe is true, and that is the way to read the text. Um, like if someone got up uh, and got inaugurated at uh, to be the new president of the United States and they said four score and seven years ago, do you get what I mean? Yeah. Everyone is like, oh, I get it, it's right. that. Mm-hmm. And that is the part of like Bible reading that people sometimes miss it's like when they're saying under every green tree, when they're saying the four corners of the earth, it's like they're saying a thing that is a pocket or a, a drawer in everyone's mind, right? right. And mm-hmm. when you, son of man is the exact same way. It's like, if you don't know that that's referencing Ezekiel, you don't have the full gravitas of what it is saying. Which um, is why it's so um, 
it's such a bad idea to like cherry pick or isolate hmm. verses or passages, totally right you know totally and i'm not saying that you have to understand ezekiel to be saved because you don't right you don't have to understand any of the bible to come to know christ but when you come to know christ and you want to understand the bible you you can't just read john chapter 10 and be like jesus loves me so much it's the best <laughs> well you can but then you won't have the full the full counsel of god verse three now the end is upon you and i will send my anger on you i will judge you according to your ways that would terrify any person because the truth of the gospel of jesus is that he won't judge us according right. to our ways yeah, yeah, yeah he will judge us according to um the way of christ mm -hmm. he will he will see us through that lens i will punish you for all your abominations my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will punish you for your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So it's interesting. He says the end, the end is upon you. That's also used in Jeremiah 51, Lamentations 4, and Amos 8. And it is actually um, what's called an anarthrous phrase in Hebrew, which means there's no um, uh, article before it in Hebrew. So it's just end mm. right so and you can mm -hmm. feel how that's more striking right end like over right, right? right. it's even more intense than like the end which we would associate with film and like the closing mm. of of it's um, sort of like a mic drop like, exactly i don't even need to say it's done i'm just ending it yeah I'm walking off exactly and he uses it several times here so he's saying end end has come upon the four corners of the land end is upon is upon you now so you mm. can just see how how intense that is um it's like I, I i picture it like the the ending of um dr strangelove i don't know if you guys have seen that movie but it's like this uh satire uh black and white kubrick movie and at the end it says the end and th the ending is the uh, the atomic destruction of the world and mm -hmm. they're playing the song we'll meet again so it is like so satirical and mm -hmm. ironic mm -hmm. what they're juxtaposing together and that's the way i see this okay. mm. is god is using um like satire and two obviously very disparate things to create this like ugh, like wow like i can't believe they artistically chose to do that that's <laughs> insane thus says the lord god verse five disaster after disaster Behold, it comes, an end, there it is again, has come. The end has come, there it is again. It has awakened against you. It's like the end has come to life. The end is Godzilla, and it has awoken. That's that idea there. Verse 7, your doom has come upon you. The Hebrew word for come is used nine times here between verses 5 and 9. So you can see that it is this arrival it has come. It, the time has come. It has arrived. That is the idea there. Verse 7, your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near. A day of tumult, not a joyful shouting on the mountains. That's another repeating idea in uh, the prophetic um, books. The day, the day of the Lord is, is the, the entire subject of the prophet of Joel. Here's a quote from John Calvin on verse 7. Nick's going to love this. He's so reformed. <laughs> Every time I say John Calvin's name, Nick is just like, Mufasa. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm Mufasa. Him. That's right. That's right. I'm like, John Cal I'm like, if Nick made a 
Mount Rushmore of his favorite theologians, it would be like, all, first of all, all dead people. Secondly, people that only lived between 15 and 1700, just like as reformed as it gets. It would just be the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> it is. My Beatles are Martin Luther, John Calvin. Okay, so For those of you listening, if you can't tell, Landon is being sarcastic. Yeah. I have a personal brand to protect. <laughs> it's so funny that you felt the need to say that. He that really is has so sad. Yeah. John Calvin's amazing. It's just Calvinists uh, yeah, that so I don't like. Yeah, John Calvin is fantastic. John Calvin wouldn't like most Calvinists. All right. So, oof, I'm going to hear about that. One. Yeah, you are. Yeah, it's an email. <laughs> it's true. So, um, John Calvin said of this verse, hence the prophet meant that the time had come which God had fixed beforehand for his judgment, and thus he takes away uh, from the impious the material for pride, for they always suppose that God is, as it were, asleep when he does not attack them at the very first moment. You see what, he, you see what he's saying? He's saying, do not the prideful people assume that by their sin and darkness, if God was going to, to repay them, it would have already happened mm. if there was a God. Right. There is a presumption yeah. of perhaps atheism or agnosticism there that I think is pretty interesting. Verse 8, now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all your abominations. Um, Logan, could you read verse 9? I will not look on you with pity. I will not spare you. I'll repay you for your conduct and for the detestable practices among you. Then you will know that it is I, the Lord, who strikes you. Now, this is really interesting. I, the Lord, who strikes. The reason that it's so interesting is because that turn of phrase, the Lord blank, Yahweh blank, or as it's often transliterated in English, Jehovah blank, are some of the most common and commonly used um, verses in the Bible. They're beautiful. I made a whole animated video series about all of these. And the thing that I have noticed is that the, the um, uh, theologians or people who are teaching often only isolate the good ones because every single list I found of Jehovah blank did not contain this one from this verse. None of them contained Jehovah Naka, I am the Lord who strikes. And so it just leads me to this idea that I'm trying to teach people, which is that we have isolated the positive characteristics of God and then been like, God is love. And that's true. But love involves truth. Love involves anger. Love involves a variety of things mm -hmm. that perhaps it would be a bit more difficult for us to acquiesce to. And I love these names of God. I, th I believe Christians should pray the names of God. Um, I love Jehovah Rapha. I love Jehovah Shema. Um, the Lord is there. The name of the place will be the Lord is there. That's actually okay. from, from Ezekiel. Uh, we're going to get to that. It's literally the last sentence of the book. And so here's an additional one. Jehovah Naka, I am the Lord who strikes. Perhaps we should ironically make some like square Instagram pics of like some flowers with Jehovah Naka. Which, yeah, that which is arguably the coolest sounding out of all of those. hundred percent. You know, I think yeah. that'd be great. I'm going to knock uh, you out. Okay. I don't like that one. That okay. one sounded. He retains the crown, folks. <laughs> I knew that was an air ball coming off the Jehovah going to knock you out. Yeah. Well, you have in Nick, one of the person, uh, people who likes puns the most. So if he doesn't like your pun, it's a bad it's pun. Part it's, my, it's, it's part of my. It's part of, yeah, it's part no of my. No good. My 
my partial boomer that I have in me. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's a good That'd one. be great. We should make like a bunch of um, Facebook thing, Facebook like cool memes for moms that say like Jehovah Naka and then just say it means <laughs> something else. Yes. And then after it gets shared like 10,000 times, be like, it actually means the Lord who strikes. Oh my gosh. That would be so great. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a big like baseball application here too. I think so. And so I wrote down this question and I would pose this question to you guys as a, a theological thought exercise. And I would pose this question to people who are watching, driving, whatever. Are we much more comfortable with the God who is merciful than the same God who punishes wickedness? And if we are, is that the reason why many skip over the judgment oracles in the prophets and specifically in Ezekiel? Mm. Which I think just food for thought, food for thought, something to chew on. Um, I certainly am not asking that pejoratively, so I hope you don't receive it that way. Verse 10, behold the day, behold it comes, your doom has come, the rod has blossomed, pride has budded. This is a very interesting verse because it is specifically referencing the rod of Aaron that um, in Numbers chapter 17 had budded with an almond blossom. Mm. And that was the rod that was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. And it was this idea of the fullness of time coming across. And it was this idea of the almond blossom in the Old Testament, which is the, the, the first plant to bud and the last plant to bloom. And so it's this idea. It's in Jeremiah chapter 1. It's all over. In specifically number 17, it was a sign of God's choosing of Aaron, but also his displeasure in his people and how they were living and behaving in the wilderness. So verse 11, violence has grown up into a rod of wickedness. So you can see how he's using the cultural history of the rod of Aaron as an indicting comment against the people. Um, Becca, could you read from there through verse 13? Mm -hmm. None of the people will be left. None of that crowd. None of their wealth. Nothing of value. The time has come. The day has arrived. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller grieve. For my wrath is on the whole crowd. The seller will not recover the property that was sold as long as the both buyer and seller live. For the vision concerning the whole crowd will not be reversed. Because of their sins, not one of them will preserve their life. Exactly, because these are prophecies of the exile. And uh, basically he's saying this isn't going to benefit your business if you're waiting to sell high. It isn't going to benefit your business if you're waiting to buy low. It isn't going to benefit anyone, mm -hmm. right? Wow. So it's like it's not headed in a direction that's good. And we right. see this in society. Like when there is like a ton of inflation, often it's very good for like McDonald's stock or other places because there are people that are winning when other people are losing, if that makes yeah. sense. And Ezekiel is saying here, we're all going to lose. We're all going to take the L on this. Your life is going to change and it's going to be for the worse. Is it me or is it like a, is like a hint of like gleefulness in this section as well? Hmm. Like this. You know, there's hmm. there's exclamations. They're like, yes, the time has come. The day is right. here. It's like a wow. It's like this finally the moment. It's like this almost sadistic glee in the destruction that we've been talking about up to this point is about to happen. Right. That's really interesting. It's very dark. That's yeah. really interesting. Just as a teaching point for anyone, the all um, punctuation in the Old Testament is you already know this. Yeah, but it's, it's tattered. It's the um, it's the translator's choice because there is no punctuation in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
we're not doing like th they're they're choosing when to put an exclamation point and all of that and it doesn't mean it's not trustworthy it just means that's a feature of our language that they don't have I mean, ancient hebrews didn't invent the exclamation point what I, about left justified because <laughs> oh, they really get me with the left justified text yeah I love a good left justified portion. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh, cool. We're going into a poetry section. Yeah. It's like, no, Judgment yeah. Oracle. And you're like, ah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, the lyrics are going to be fire when it's, <laughs> when it's not center aligned. Nick, could you read um, 14 through 19? Yep. The trumpet calls Israel's army to mobilize, but no one listens, for my fury is against them all. There is war outside the city and disease and famine within. Those outside the city walls will be killed by enemy swords. Those inside will die of famine and disease. The survivors who escape to the mountains will moan like doves, weeping for their sins. Their hands will hang limp. Their knees will be weak as water. They will dress themselves in burlap. Horror, will, horror and shame will cover them. They will shave their heads in sorrow and remorse. Is that it? Say through 18? Through, uh, through 19. 19. Uh, they will throw their money in the streets, tossing it out like worthless trash. Their silver and gold won't save them. On that day of the Lord's anger, it will never, it will neither satisfy nor feed them, for their greed can only trip them up. They were proud of their beautiful jewelry and used it to make detestable idols and vile images. I went too far. Therefore, I will make all their wealth disgusting to them. Can That's you, okay. That was through verse 20, but go 20. ahead. You, what did your verse 17 say in your translation? It said... Their hands will hang limp. Their knees will be weak as water. Yeah. yeah. Um, mine says every leg will be wet with urine. Whoa. Which is a the, lot different. Than, that's a yeah. different thing altogether. That's the NIV like they're so scared they peed their pants. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's not crazy. always. There's things are not always clear in Hebrews. They've clearly taken a different angle. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I love the ESV and mine says their knees will turn to water. I don't remember studying that specific phrase. So I can't speak to it, but you know, um, <laughs> it still has the intended effect. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it certainly is very interesting. Um, and I love, um, what it says in verse 19, they'll throw their silver in the streets. Their gold is like an unclean thing. Mm -hmm. Their mm. silver and gold are not able to save them, to deliver them. Um, it reminds me of that scene in Titanic where that guy is trying to like get on the lifeboat and he's throwing money at the person yeah. and yeah. it's like How the much? value of the money has plummeted to zero. It is worth totally. nothing. Interesting. The only thing that has value is a seat on that lifeboat, remember? Mm -hmm. And then the guy like picks up that like orphan and acts like it's his daughter so he can like get <laughs> off. Yeah. You're like, what a what a weirdo, bro. I love um, that sentence that their silver and gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. Yeah. So good. And what a, it's like a picture of uh, futility and nothingness that you are taking something that is of uh, perhaps borderline infinite value in our society, silver and gold, and just throwing it in the streets. It's just weighing you down, right? Yeah. It's and that is, um, wow. you know, perhaps uh, if people will accept it, that is uh, the the true status of everything of value, and perhaps that is what Jesus was alluding to um, when he says, "Store up treasures that do not grow rust." Um, they do not lose value. Uh, the exchange rate uh, of heaven perhaps will um, see many things that we do not value exchanged for infinite value um, in the next life. Verse well, not 20. only that, like the, the whole idea behind money, any commodity is like, you know, you, you use it to do transactions, but you mm -hmm. also save some. Mm -hmm. And so the picture of people just throwing their money in the streets, yeah. it truly underscores the end which is, you mm. know, the previous verses, because it's like 
this has no value. There's no point of saving anything because this is the end. This is it. Mm-hmm. It's Everything sort of like the, yeah. yeah, like if you knew the world was ending tomorrow, like, you know, what, you know, what would that change? Yeah. You know, your behavior. Would, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like nothing else matters. This, the silver and gold that we've been angling our whole adult lives to right. hoard and keep. And it's just like, this is it. It's over. Yeah. This has no meaning anymore. Throw it away. Yeah. Totally. What are you treasuring in your life? And the fact that like all of us will be at a point wherein we will value those things the equivalent amount that they are valuing yeah. them right now in this yeah. prophecy. Wow. Um, verse 21, I'll give it into the hands of the foreigners for prey to the wicked for of the earth for spoil. They will profane it. I'll turn my face from them and they will profane my treasured place. Robbers shall enter and profane it. Um, and this happened by the way, Mm. Lamar Cooper points out in his commentary, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple, took the golden and silver vessels to Babylon where they were profaned in the temple of his pagan gods. These same objects were used by Belshazzar as objects of pagan worship and as a means of ridicule for the Hebrews and their God. So like people are melting down your valued treasures and turning them into the gods of foreign nations, which is wild. Mm. And um, the last few verses right there, 20, 21 and 22 are summarizing Jerusalem's fall. So if you want to read more about that, you can read the book of Lamentations, which is the exact same time period. It's not the time period that Ezekiel is saying it. It's the time period of what he is talking about, if that makes sense. It's only separated by a few years. Verse 23, forge a chain for the land is full of bloody crimes and the city is full of violence. So he's saying forge a chain because these are the types of chains that were going to be used to transport prisoners. Mm. So he's saying, why don't you use your time to create the thing that is going to lead you out into exile, which is pretty intense. Um, uh, 23B, where it says the city is full of violence, that mirrors um, Genesis 6:11 when it says the earth was filled with violence. Um, verse 24, um, I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses. He's like, just the worst people, just the absolute (laughs) worst people. And they are going to live in your house, right? I'll put an end to the pride of the strong and their holy places shall be profaned. Why is God saying the holy places will be profaned? Because they're not actually holy places, but they're holy to them because they are their cultic high places. Mm. Um, And this was prophesied by Moses in Leviticus 26. Um, so I know people are just dying for reasons to read Leviticus <laughs> people. You can stop messaging me about it. They never stop. They never stop saying, talk more about Leviticus. So there you go. Um, when the anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there will be none. Disaster comes upon disaster. Rumor follows rumor. They will seek a vision from the prophet while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders. Um, so Jesus in John 1 16 brings grace upon grace. This is disaster upon disaster, rumor upon rumor. Um, verse 27, it's going to be the last one we're going to look at here today. The king mourns, the prince is wrapped in despair, and the hands of the people 
of the land are paralyzed by terror. According to their way, I will do to them, and according to their judgments, I will judge them, and they will know that I am the Lord. So what we have here is this idea, your wealth can't save you now, you know, it's not going well. Um, you cannot be saved by your wealth anymore, right? So that's what is uh, being said here. And um, it goes completely along with what Jesus says about wealth. And is this is this distracting you guys? All my notes. This is what I'm working from here. <laughs> um, what I want to say at the close is I want to just tell people that like the end of this book is really wonderful and really great and very positive. And it's not like God owes that to us. That's the way that he chose to make it. So when you're going through these texts that feel like a bit of a slog because they're like yeah. very aggressive. The last eight chapters of the book are a metaphorical vision of uh, all of Jerusalem being a one building temple of God. Mm -hmm. And there being this like massive like Everest style mountain that the entire temple city is on. So it like gets to, it gets to this really amazing place. Yeah. And um, we see the track that Ezekiel is teaching on. He's teaching and saying, um, Glory has called the prophet. Glory is leaving the city of God. And glory will return to the city of God at the end. Mm. That's mm. the arc of mm. the book. Wow. I think it's <laughs> super interesting to me that each of the last few chapters, I just went back to look to make sure I wasn't making it up, ends with, and I know obviously it, it wasn't written in the chapters, but um, how many thoughts are ended with then they will know that i am the lord mm. yes or something to that effect like yeah this this like all's gonna happen and then you'll know that i'm the lord all is gonna happen i'm like i've spoken i'm the lord mm -hmm. and you know everything is that's happening it's just like r you know refocusing on on him you know he even says and i think it was the, it was uh, chapter si uh, five maybe where he talks you know talks about his jealousy um and I think that's, you know, when you ask the you know rhetorical question to, you know, to the listeners think about like, why is it that we like to talk about God's love and all that stuff? It's like, it's, you know, that's just an uncomfortable characteristic. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a, it's a gross characteristic in any human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. it's not mm -hmm. something that we like, like yeah. I'm going to ruin your life and then you'll know that I'm Nick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you'd be it's like, like oh, an he's an a-hole. I'm not going to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, he's like, would you like to share more about the ex-girlfriend situation? I like, don't have any story. You sure did come up with it pretty quickly. And, yeah. <laughs> no, okay. I don't have any He story turned a shade that. of red that would suggest <laughs> that there's yeah. a story there. Yeah. I wish I did though. The, that the speed with which you offered like an ex-girlfriend <laughs> as an example, I just thought I had to ask. But anyways, that's just... Um, that's a lot to think about, you know, totally. it that's, is that's something to go. Oh, this is like God proves his, you know, love and his you know sovereignty and his faithfulness to us in so many of the positive ways that we all you know, know about mm -hmm. and talk about. But he also is doing it here yeah. w w through absolute destruction. Mm. Mm. That I agree with completely. And I do think that it is a characteristic. I would see the one part differently. I think it's a characteristic that we do love in people because it is um it is boundary setting it is righteous boundary setting and so hmm. like if like the security um the guy in charge of all the security here at our church is a guy named mark 
and when anything happens or goes wrong, Mark like takes care of it, right? And that is a feature that we really like. And God is like ju uh, ju righteously judging the boundaries of reality, perhaps. Mm. Interesting. With yeah, with a doom poem. Yeah. yeah. I guess my hard question that comes to my mind is like. Do we see this in modern day? You know what I mean? Like, uh, when lands are destroyed, is there anything where it's like, that is God's judgment? What do you think? It never goes well when somebody attempts that. Hmm. Like, I can't, I can, I can count on s several hands how many you know, famous pastors, preachers, visible like church leaders, there's a, you know, tornado somewhere. And it's like, well, that's because this happened. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, but what about all the tornadoes in your home state? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know if that, I don't know if you really want to go down that road, yeah. sir. It certainly is generally the result of the fall of man. And mm -hmm. certainly is mm -hmm. everything that is bad is generally the result of, you know, the state the current state of the universe which is you know somewhere between zero and 100 percent of the way to redeemed yeah yeah i love that everything that was like in written in ezekiel god already talked about in previous chapters and he said it was going to happen and then it happened and i just feel like to put myself in the mind of those people is like wow i just avoided listening to that and i just didn't want to hear that this was going to happen in my time and so i just kept pushing aside that i needed to follow god that i needed to give my life to god does that make sense is that kind of like yeah. what they're you know like so it's like oh that's going to happen in the future to the next group of people not to me so i don't need to follow him right now and do what he's calling me to do right now but like that's what we need to do it's not going to happen like we need to choose that today hmm. yeah yeah that's good that's good well the air conditioning just kicked on <laughs> and it's aggressively <laughs> loud. So I would imagine the production people want us to stop this discussion. <laughs> perhaps you can hear the air conditioner. We are thankful for it because it is hot in here, but it perhaps wasn't supposed to go on right now. Um, thank you guys for watching. I'm really honored that you guys would join us here as we seek to grow closer to Christ, as we seek to lessen biblical literacy and hopefully um, pursue and achieve the abundant life that Jesus Christ talked about through not just reading of the word, but through believing in the one who wrote it and living life with him starting right now. And so would be cool if you would give the thumbs, give the thumbs up. Um, and I'm glad that YouTube took off the thumbs down counter because when we get to chapter 16, we're going to get so many <laughs> thumbs down. And it's, it's nice to know in. that that's behind a veil. <laughs> we're going to break it. Yeah. yeah. We're going to break so, that button. <laughs> well, we'd love it if you guys would share this. Leave us a comment. Let us know you're watching. That'd be fantastic. And we'll see you guys here next time.